Hello and welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. We're so pleased that you've been able to join us. People say, I want to hear God. I go, cool. Are you reading his word? No, I won't until I hear from him. You'll hear from him. Trust me, read it. The written and spoken word, powerful tools and ones we rely on routinely to express love, communicate passion, offer correction and give instruction. There was a time when the Word of God was banned from the house of God. What? Bizarre, isn't it? The house of God is where you should be able to hear the Word of God and hear from God. Why is that so important? Because God's Word reveals God's heart of great love for you. Banned from the house of God is Dr. Andrew Corbett's topic tonight. Let's join him now. This is part 102 of our Jeremiah series. This is where it begins to get even more interesting in this story so we're reading from verse 4 and we introduce this character by the name of Baruch and he will become from this point on he will become a very important character then Jeremiah called Baruch the son of Neriah and Baruch wrote on a scroll at the dictation of Jeremiah all the words the Lord had spoken to him so this includes some 23 years of ministry so what we've just taken the last four years to look at they've now just written down on parchments verse 5 and jeremiah ordered baruch saying i am banned from going to the house of the lord now why why had he been banned from going to the house of the lord why was he banned oh most churches kind of trying to go the other way (laughs) but why was jeremiah banned well the reality is he was banned because he was hearing from god he was hearing from god and delivering the word of god of all the things to be banned for and i can think of a few that's not on my list (laughs) we want people to hear from god we want that so Jeremiah was banned because he put God first. (laughs) And as a result of putting God first in his life, he's banned from the house of God. This should strike you as very odd, and I hope it does. Next verse. This is Jeremiah talking to Baruch, his more or less his secretary, his personal assistant. So you are to go, and on the day of fasting, in the hearing of all the people, in the Lord's house, you shall read the words of the Lord from the scroll that you have written at my dictation. You shall read them also in the hearing of all the men of Judah who come out of their cities. So here's Jeremiah telling Baruch, his personal assistant, who becomes, he, he becomes the prototype, that is the first of many to come, The prototype scribe, a scribe is someone who writes and he is noted here as being one of the first scribes of prophetic literature. And this is a gutsy move on the part of Jeremiah, of course, because he's uttered prophecies. And if if you had any hesitation, any doubt that these prophecies weren't going to come to pass, now would be the time to kind of just let them, you know, fall to the ground and not remind anyone of them. But he's going the other way around. He's actually saying, 
I want these things documented. I want them re-announced. I want people to read these things. The, the, key, the, the three key things that have been coming up continually in Jeremiah's warnings to the people include things like this. And these, you know, I mean, you, you wonder why we don't put this on, like I have a sermon notice board out the front. Come to Lagana and hear more about famine, sword and pestilence. It's not a gripping sort of theme, is it? Oh, I've always wondered about pestilence. How does that work? You know, it's like, but these are the themes Jeremiah's been saying are heading toward Jerusalem unless you do something about it. And they hadn't done something about it. He says, who will be the orchestrator of it? He lists this, this little known empire, Babylon. He lists uh, Nebuchadnezzar as the one who would do it. And sure enough, jumping ahead in the story, everything Jeremiah said would happen indeed did happen. Jeremiah goes so far as to prophesy things about the coming of the Messiah. He prophesied things like that when Jesus would be born, there would be lots of children killed about that time. There would be a voice heard in Rama weeping over her children. He, this is Jeremiah and it's quoted in the New Testament. So he's quite an amazing guy. So here he is telling Brooke, go and take the word of God that God has given me, write it down and go and read it in the temple go and read it in that precinct and really the house of god should be the most logical place where people can come to hear the word of the lord now we we kind of want to continue with this idea in this church <laughs> we i'm sure that you can go to and and i've got to be careful how i say this because sometimes by dealing with the word of God, and I'm reading through Isaiah in my, my devotional at the moment, just reading through the prophet Isaiah at the moment, and he says this, God wants his word taught line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little and then here a little bit more. But there's something about just taking the word of God and unpacking it. And that's kind of what we're trying to do here. And the people of Jeremiah's day had banned it. They didn't wanted but this is the the house of god where we're where we are right now should be the place where you can come and hear from god now here's the the thing god has given us his word and he speaks through his word as powerfully as if he was face to face with you and you saw his lips move that's what makes this no ordinary book this is not an ordinary book. This is the voice of God given to us in a document. That is profound. The New Testament puts it this way. For the word of God, Hebrews 4.12, is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's what the Word of God can do. So, we see here God has used two groups, two general groups of people to deliver His Word. And it comes out in this passage. We have Jeremiah the prophet. We call these people something, and I'll, I'll refer to that in a moment. And then there's another group of people that we see in this passage as well. And both work together to deliver God's word to us. So the first group is, are the ones who pen his word. 
Now, this, I need to just say something about this. Let's just take a little bit of a pause here. Because when we talk about the, the Bible being divinely inspired, what do we mean? When we say this, this Bible is divinely inspired and is without error, and which is what we do say, um, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 says, Every word in this Bible is breathed out by God. So this is not an ordinary book. But here's the, the mystery of it. God used men to write his word. God allowed them to write from their perspective. God allowed them to write with their vocabulary. God allowed them to write from their experience. God allowed them to write what was in their heart. You ever read the Psalms? <laughs> My goodness. You read the Psalms and you have the psalmist going, God, where are you? Why are you so silent? Why are you so far from me? I can't feel you. Then you read the next psalm. Oh, God, thank you for speaking. You're so close. You never leave me. It's awesome. And usually it's the same person. Human experience. God used it through people to record his word. This is a great mystery. But the mystery is seen in the person of Jesus Christ. That's why we see this is totally from God, yet he used men, totally from men. It's a mystery. But so was Jesus. Jesus was God made flesh. Was Jesus human? Let's try that again. The answer is yes. Was Jesus human? Yes. Was Jesus God? Yes. He was. So hang on, aren't you confusing me here? Jesus was man. Jesus was God. Yes, he was, totally. And it's the same deal. This is the word of God as well. Jesus is the word made flesh, the product, product, the, the, the result of God and man. So that's, that's what makes it very mysterious. So God used people, real people with their real situations to write his word. God also used these other people to publish his word. We call them scribes. Today we might call them translators. Today we might call them publishers. These are people that God, I believe God, uses people to preserve his word. Do you know how many times the devil has tried to eradicate the Bible from the face of the planet? Several is the answer, or many perhaps might be a better answer. It happened early on in the second century AD when Rome saw that the, the, the thing that was fueling the birth of the church and the spread of Christianity was the New Testament. So Rome put a ban on the New Testament. Roman soldiers would burst into churches. At the end of a sword or a spear, they would threaten to kill the pastor of that church unless he handed over their one handwritten copy of the New Testament. Now get this. The church together, all the bishops together said, let us make a pact where we will take a solemn vow that we will not give our copies of the scriptures to Rome. Now, they all agreed to this. And yet, in some instances, when Roman soldiers did burst in at the point of a sword, the point of a spear, some pastors couldn't handle the pressure. And I no judgment on them because, gee, swords are sharp. <laughs> they handed over their one copy that might have taken some scribe a whole year to copy out or whatever and and it was burned 
And these, after the, that persecution died down, the church met to decide what do we do with these cowardly pastors. It's called the Tradator controversy if you're in the church history. But there were pastors that didn't hand over their, their copies of the Bible and they took a spear in public so that today you can have this thing sitting on your lap in a carpented, LED-lit, air-conditioned building with a multi-thousand-dollar data projector making it easy for you to follow what I'm trying to say. They took the end of a sword through their belly so we could have this today. And that was just the first attempt by the devil to eradicate the word. We can go through history and we'll find the same thing. Zwingli, if you've ever, anyone ever heard of Zwingli? Began to take the word, put it into the, mod, the, the modern language of the people. And religious officials took him, cut him to pieces, burned him alive, what was left of him, and threw him in a river. So that you and I could have this. John Wycliffe followed after this guy. Was the first man to put the Bible in English. Religious authorities put a contract out on his life. And he was executed. William Tyndale translated the whole Bible. Wycliffe just did the New Testament. Translated the whole Bible. And what we have today, and by the way, the English language has been shaped by William Tyndale, who translated the Bible into English, first man to do it. And he was executed. He was executed for doing it. So when we say people have given their lives to do this, it is no small exaggeration. And here we are in Jeremiah's time, and Baruch has got to be thinking... Hang on, Jeremiah's been banned and threatened with death for proclaiming the word. He's now got me to write it out and he wants me to go into the temple and read it out. I think I see where this is going. He would have to think that. And yet, what does he do? He does it. That's courage. (laughs) That's enormous courage. So Baruch was charged to publish God's word, to write it out. And by the way, he had to do it many times. So we'll, we'll see this as we go on in this chapter. And, and I've mentioned a few of the times when God's word has been banned down through the ages. I mean, as recently as China. It was not that long ago where if you were found taking a Chinese Bible into China, you faced a jail sentence. And there are countries today where... where hey. Three weeks ago, North Korea. Was it, was it an Australian missionary who took North Korean Bibles in, was found and was threatened with execution for taking Korean Bibles into North Korea? Three weeks ago. Why? <laughs> if it's just a book... Why the irrational opposition to it? Why? At this point, many people have given their lives to get God's word to you and to I is no exaggeration. It's no exaggeration. 
You are holding in your hand, effectively, metaphorically, blood-stained pages. I don't know if that shapes how you treat this. I know when I went to the Ukraine for the first time, just after the, the Iron Curtain had gone down, I, I walked in to a room, I had my Bible there, and, and I put my Bible down on the floor to take my trench coat off. And literally three people came straight out and pick it up and put it up and said, we don't treat God's word like that here. Because for decades, that had been an illegal book in Ukraine and many of their people had literally died for owning one. I met people there who didn't have fingers because they were threatened by the established authorities, the KGB at that time. They were chopping fingers off. Where's your Bible, right? You won't tell us? Chop a finger off. Chop a finger off. Where's your Bible? And they would keep, I've got 10, keep going. Does this cause us to go, gee, maybe I need to lift my game here as far as how I regard this. Verse 7, it may be, and this is, get this, Jeremiah is saying this, this is his heart. And, and it's so easy to read the word mechanically and not get people, get the heart here and get the heart of God in particular. It may be, that their plea for mercy will come before the Lord and that everyone will turn from his evil way for great is the anger and the wrath that the Lord has pronounced against his people. Verse 8, And Baruch the son of Neriah did all that Jeremiah the prophet ordered him about reading the scroll, uh, reading from the scroll the words of the Lord in the Lord's house. And we'll see how this goes. It, it had a, an immediate effect. This was revolutionary. But you see, Jeremiah said, I want you to do this because I, I want the people to hear it because I don't want them to perish. I want something to come into their heart where they cry out, Oh God, we are not living the way you want. We are not living a life that honors you. We cry out for your mercy. That was Jeremiah's heart. That's what he wanted. It reveals not only Jeremiah's heart, it reveals God's heart. And, and we see this in Scripture. We see God's deep care for people and his heart for people in Scripture. I'm sure that there are, there, there are hurts more painful than rejection. But gee, rejection hurts, doesn't it? You know, when you reach out to someone and they reject you, you, you hurt. When we reach out to people, they reject us, we feel hurt because of our loss. But when God reaches out to someone and people reject him, he feels hurt because of their loss. And Jeremiah's calling the people to repent. He often uses this word to turn, <laughs> that they might turn to God and cry out for mercy. That turning is turning away from and turning to God. And we sometimes think that if we do that, the thing that we're pursuing, we're going to lose. I'm pursuing this, this relationship that gives me a thrill. I'm pursuing this drug that gives me a thrill. I'm pursuing this sin that gives me a thrill. And if I repent, I will lose it. <laughs> C.S. Lewis put it this way. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. 
We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. And when people cling to their sin and think that's the thing that defines them, that's the thing that gives their life meaning and purpose, and the source of infinite joy invites us to let go of that thing and come and embrace him. And we go, no thanks, I'm more satisfied playing in mud in a slum. You don't lose when you repent. (laughs) You gain. You gain. That thing that you think gives you identity, satisfaction, a sense of purpose, that thing that is, is, is the deal breaker for you coming fully to God is not your friend. And here is Jeremiah trying to reconcile people with God, the ultimate relationship for which we are all created. And here's a principle of any relationship. For any relationship to succeed where there is failure, there must be repentance. There must be repentance. Note the words of Jeremiah. He says, I just hope, I just want them to cry out to God for mercy. Cry out to God for mercy. And what does that sound like? Presumably it sounds like, oh God, I'm so sorry. I thought this mud and this excrement that I've been playing with, and Paul calls it excrement. I thought this was the most valuable thing in the world and how foolish I've been. Wash me. Cleanse me. I need your mercy and your grace and your forgiveness. And you know, in any relationship, marriage, friendship, parent-child, There is the need for that as well. An apology, a change of heart, turning, forgiveness. Here's Jeremiah telling Baruch, write this down. This is the sacred word of God. Write it down, speak it in the temple, deliver it to the king. And here's the deal. God used more people than Jeremiah to do that. And he used more people than Baruch to do that. And eventually we have 66 books that are the record of this kind of transaction. Where God has taken his word and he's written it in a book. And can I tell you that God's word is God's gift of his voice to you today. People say, I want to hear God. I go, cool. Are you reading his word? No, I won't until I hear from him. (sighs) You'll hear from him. Trust me, read it. It's not an ordinary book. It will speak to your heart. I remember in youth group hearing one of the guys, a little bit, a few years older than me, come into youth group and he said, I've just been reading Leviticus. That's awesome. I go, really? He said, yeah, man, I just read that the priest had to dip his thumb in blood. I'm going, we have different definitions of awesome. And then he had to take that blood and put it on his earlobe and then he had to take that blood and put it on his big toe isn't that awesome 
going, what? He says, yeah, whatever you put your hand to has got to be under the blood of Jesus. You do it all for the glory of God. Oh, oh yeah, that's pretty awesome. Whatever you allow to come into your mind has got to be for the glory of Jesus as well. Oh, yeah, that's pretty awesome, isn't it? On the toe, wherever you go, whatever you do with your life has got to be for the glory of God. Yeah, that is awesome. Who would have thought? Leviticus. Awesome. It's there. It's there. God's word is God's gift of his voice to you. And here's the question. Have you come to God's house to meet together with God? And sometimes that takes humility. I'm not going to do it today. I don't want to. (laughs) Grow up. And have we come to meet together? (laughs) Come on. You've got to love me. And have we come to meet together to hear God? Are we open? God, speak to me. God, speak to me. What a great attitude to come to God's house with. And here's another question based on this passage because I, I read God's word and I find, I find it challenging. I, I, find it, I find it the goal, not, not a description of where I've finally arrived. And so here's the question. When you read God's word, do you, do you feel the summons? Do you, do you sense the voice of God summoning you? To at least repent, and sometimes we have this famine, sword, and pestilence, repent sort of approach to it. But repent doesn't necessarily mean you've got to go 180 degrees. Repent sometimes means you've got to come back a degree. Because you know, one degree off over the long haul will get you a long way off. Sometimes repent is, hey, 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 hey. Don't, don't have that. And parents do this with their kids all the time, don't we? We see our kids squabble. We go, hey, 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 don't. That, that's not how you hit your brother. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right, Dad. You do it like this. <laughs> oh, I miss the point. But parents have to correct their children and the little, attitude, just little micro attitude things all the time. So if you're hearing repent is like for really, really bad sinners, it is, but it's also for sinners like you. Jesus said this about his word in John 6, 63. This is what he said about the word. My words, it is the spirit who gives life. The, the flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. And this is the power of God's word. It is spirit and it is life. And we've seen a bit of the process involved in getting it to us some 2,600 years after God used Jeremiah. If someone God reaches out to rejects him, he hurts because of their loss. God is calling you to repent, not so you lose, but so you gain. God's word is asking you to repent. More from Dr. Corbett next week with his topic, Dictation Causes Excoriation. Podcasts and Finding Truth Matters resources, including tonight's program, Banned from the House of God, are available via the website, findingtruthmatters.org, or by contacting us at Lagana Media, PO Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania, 7277. For regular updates and special offers, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com slash findingtruthmatters. 
Dr. Corbett is pastor of the Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.